Do you have a Coach Rocco in your life? Are you the next Coach Rocco for somebody else? This idea of leadership is one that is exciting and one that is absolutely terrifying at the same time. Who can you think of that epitomizes leadership like Coach Rocco? Who's someone in your life who has taken you, sometimes forcibly, by the hand and been shown the ropes, been given advice, just someone who you can lean into when times are tough? I think of someone in my life, I think of my fifth grade teacher. When I was in fourth grade the last day, our fourth grade teacher went through the roll call of where we would find ourselves in for the following school year. And throughout my elementary school, we all knew that there was that one fifth grade teacher that you did not want. Disciplinarian, hard, just you, life with that class and that teacher would be horrible. And so my fourth grade teacher went down the list of everyone who would be in all the classes and one by one all of the good teachers were taken. And then it got down to one teacher and her. And the 12 or 13 of us who were in my fourth grade class looked at each other and we could tell the terror in our eyes that something was about to happen. And so that next to last teacher was called and of course my name wasn't. And I thought to myself, well there goes my summer vacation. I'm not gonna look forward to this at all. But I'll tell you what, that fifth grade teacher turned out to be one of the top two educators in my life. She prepared us for middle school superbly. That's not to say the other fifth grade teachers at my school didn't do their job. But when I had moved up into sixth grade the following year and saw how much more I was prepared, how much more ready I was, and all my other friends who had other teachers were scrambling and were stressing. And I was like, you know what, being in that class and having her as a teacher and having her to write, or forcing her, or forcing us to write discipline sentences 25 times when we got in trouble, it may not have been the worst thing in the world. She epitomized leadership for me. She got her class ready and she guided us into the future. There are other people in my life, parents, coaches, spiritual mentors, one of whom is sitting in the balcony right now. So we all have people who have guided us. Every one of us can be a leader. Every one of us has the potential to be a leader. But the difference is not everyone wants to put in the work and effort to be said leader. Not everyone has the desire to pick up the phone when God calls, ready to give you an assignment. How can we develop into strong and dependable Christian leaders that this church needs, that our Christian community is desperate for? Well, we're going to take a look this morning at someone whose story has gotten overlooked many times before in Scripture. It's a man from the Old Testament. His name 
is Nehemiah. The year is 444 BC, so just, just a little while ago. The Israelites are just beginning to return to their homeland, to Judah, to Jerusalem, after years in exile for disobedience. And so Nehemiah is one of them. He actually has a very important role in the place where God has him right now. You see, Nehemiah is an Israelite, but he also is cupbearer to the king of Persia, King Artaxerxes. And if you know anything about being a cupbearer, you know that can be a job that has a very fast turnaround. You're the official taste tester for the king and his court. So if the cupbearer survives, the king and his court know the food is good to eat. If the cupbearer doesn't survive, the king is looking for a new cupbearer. It's pretty simple, and they have to get new food. He is not a Levite. He is not a man who has been called into service or consecrated to serve God. But he is a man of integrity. He's trusted. He's brave. He's humble. He's prayer-centered. He's willing to put himself in harm's way for a task. So this is a very dependable, qualified man in the kingdom. And he showed us five qualities to be an effective leadership across the board. Not just when it comes to being a Christian, but across the board. However, these hold special meanings for us as believers because we can look to him as a man of faith to give us pointers on how we should lead. And let me be very frank with you. These are qualities and characteristics that take a degree in nuclear physics to understand. They are very simple and straightforward. But oftentimes we look at a man and a story that we really don't know much about and we are inspired. And we bring something new into our own walk. So, bear with me. There's a lot of information, a lot of scriptures in this particular message. We're going to go fast, but we're going to go at a pace where hopefully you will be able to retain something as you go home today. And my prayer is that for anything you don't, you can make mental notes. You can jot them down on a piece of paper. You can put a thumb in a Bible. And when you have your own personal time this week, that is where you can dig a little deeper. So let's look at these five qualities all from the first six chapters of Nehemiah. First, Nehemiah understood that there was a need to lead. In chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says... Hanani, one of my brothers, again, this is Nehemiah speaking, his point of view. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with others who just arrived back in Judah. I asked him about the Jews who returned there and how things were going. They replied, things aren't going well for those who've returned to Judah. There's been great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept and mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah saw what was needing to get done. He understood someone had to step up and lead the people in accomplishing a task of 
putting together the wall and the gates. Think of our church. Think of the other churches and ministries and nonprofits that you are very familiar of with today. A very small percentage of people do the majority of the work. It's not trying to condemn you all, but it's just a fact that we have a huge amount of spiritual gifts that we can use, but a lot of times things get in the way. And so if we are to be effective Christian leaders, we have to recognize and need to understand that there is a need for us. We can step up and serve our church. In Matthew 9, Jesus is speaking to his disciples about evangelism and spreading the gospel. But the passage can apply to this principle as well. It's Matthew 9, 37 and 38. Jesus says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. The harvest is great, but there are few people willing to pick up the tools and do what needs to be done. Nehemiah understood that there was something that he could do, and he stepped up to lead. Second thing Nehemiah did, he planned, he prepared, he put a game plan together. Did y'all notice one of the very first things in verse 4 that he did? He prayed. He prayed. That was one of, if not the first thing that he did when he heard the news about what was going on in Jerusalem. He knew that God was going to have to be on his side for him to be able to accomplish said need. We know that there are verses in Scripture that support the claim that Jesus went alone to pray, went by himself to pray, woke up early in the morning before the sun rose to spend time praying. So if our Lord models this, we need to follow it. We may not be asked to get up before the sun rises to pray. I know I don't. But you can fit in time to pray especially if it applies to you having a calling to lead in some capacity. Philippians 4, 6. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Those verses talk about always praying. Praying is not something you can do only when you wake up, only before meals, and only when you go to bed. Prayer is a constant communication chain. Anytime, anywhere, with anybody, God wants you to speak with him. So if we are asked to lead and we are in this planning stage and preparing things, do we rely on our own ability or do we ask God to reveal to us what his plan and his purpose is? Our OMP crew, I can guarantee you that they just didn't show up Wednesday and do nothing until now. If they had done that, they wouldn't be sitting in church right now. They'd be running around the church getting things ready. 
They had a plan and they did it so that their hearts are a little bit more at ease this morning. When I was in between jobs, I had some people telling me, Neil, your time in the youth ministry and church is over. I had some people saying, don't listen to them. You do what you believe is right for you. And so I prayed. I said, okay, God, it's in your hands. What I'm going to do is I'm going to keep on sending off for church ministry jobs, and I'm also going to send off for stuff like in technology and athletic administration and uh, media, and I'm going to let you be the one who guides the path. Here I am, and I've been here for over a year. You guys haven't wanted, you guys have not wanted to get rid of me yet. So God had a plan, and I prayed for it to happen. That's what Nehemiah did. And then he began to get everything in order that he needed. He followed the steps. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Paraphrasing, not reading the whole thing. During the 20th year of the reign of Artaxerxes, I was serving him his wine as my duty called for. I'd never before appeared sad before him. The king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You have to be deeply troubled. I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? The city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. The gates have been destroyed. Well, the king asked, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, again, prayer to God, he replied. I replied, Nehemiah replied, if it pleases the king and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king said, how long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him all these things, the king agreed to let me go. I also said, hey, one more thing, king. Let me have letters addressed to all of the governors of the provinces west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way back home. Also, give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, for I will need timber. I'll need it to make beams for the gates, the temple fortress, the city walls, and a house for myself. The king granted these requests because God's gracious hand was on me. Nehemiah came up with a plan. God helped Nehemiah come up with a plan after he had prayed. So he arrived in Jerusalem and then took friends with him and they inspected the walls, the gates and everything that had been on the ground. He planned and then he saw what needed to be done. How can we lead or be expected to lead if we don't know who we're leading, where we're going, or have a plan laid out? How can we? You know, more often than not, we've tried to do things blindfolded without knowing what we're jumping into. Sometimes it's succeeded. More times than not, we've fallen flat on our face. God wants us to make sure that our plan is in accordance with him. Jesus again says something about this. He's talking about discipleship and counting the cost of being a follower but this particular scripture passage in Luke says something about the importance of planning. 
It's Luke 14, 28 through 30. Jesus says, don't begin until you count the cost. Who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you may complete only the foundation before you run out of money. Then everyone would laugh at you. They'd say, there's a person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. To be a leader means that you need to be prepared. To be a leader means that there must be some kind of communication between you and God to make sure that what you have in your heart lines up with what he has placed in your heart. Nehemiah did that. Third, Nehemiah recognized that he needed help. He addressed the need of help. Chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. I said to them, all of the city officials and all of the leaders of the Jewish nation, you know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem's in ruins. The gates are on the ground burning. So we need to rebuild the wall and end this disgrace. I told them about how God's gracious hand had been on me and about my conversation with the king of Persia. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So we began the good work. And then all of chapter 3 is about the dozens and hundreds of Israelites who come together to repair and rebuild Jerusalem's wall. We have some things that need to get done in our sanctuary to improve its function. Some things that need to be done to the windows, to the columns outside, to the steeple. Brother Matt cannot do it all. He may want to, but he can't do it all. He needs help. We need help. Recognizing that you can't do it by yourself is extremely humbling and gratifying and it helps uplift those around you. Sometimes it is necessary for you to achieve the need that God has placed in your heart to lead. Again, I look to our OMP crowd. If there was just one of you here this week tasked with getting everything done that you have already done, maybe 10%, 15% of it would have gotten done. But because you're a team and you work together, even amidst all of the shouting and organized chaos, you got it done. Your gifts and talents can only do so much, but if they're paired with someone else who has a strength to your weakness, that's a perfect match. There are plenty of stories in scripture that support this idea of leaders delegating responsibility. Some pretty powerful people have done it too. In Exodus 18, verses 13 through 26, Moses, the same guy who parted the Red Sea and spoke with God, 10 plagues, that guy, he was struggling to keep in line the Israelite community. So his father-in-law, 
yippee, his father-in-law came and sensed that Moses was overworked. And he suggested that Moses appoint men to hear common community disputes, men who were trustworthy and faithful. And so he did that. And Moses only heard the major disputes. And we saw what kind of a leader Moses was after that. In Acts, the birth of the church, there were complaints about people who were not getting fed or not getting served because for whatever reason, their needs were not being heard. And so the leaders, we're talking Peter and James and John, the disciples themselves, they delegated ministry responsibilities to other believers. Believers like Stephen, well-respected, who were full of the spirit and wisdom, and said, look, our task is to train leaders, build the church, and spread the gospel. We can't worry about widows who are complaining that other people are getting more food than they are. It's important because God calls us to care for the poor. But it's not what we're good at. So you seven, we're going to pray over you. We're going to make sure you're full of the Spirit. And that will be your job. You can help keep track of other daily things for our church. And we can continue pouring into people and building churches. Leaders who delegate gain the respect of those who they are leading. It may not show right away. Some of us want to hold on to power and hold on to responsibility and let people know that we are in charge. But if we allow ourselves to understand that we can't do everything, and that we need to allow other people to come in, we gain their respect because we are giving them an opportunity to work alongside us. Four, almost done. The fourth thing that Nehemiah did to show us effective leadership, he handled everything that comes with being a leader with care, patience, and attention to detail. There are two things that Nehemiah did to handle responsibilities that go above and beyond, in my mind, anything that he did as he was in Jerusalem rebuilding the wall. Very first thing was he held off enemies who were trying to sabotage him. When the walls of Jerusalem were down in that time period, surrounding nations and people could come in, do what they wanted. There was no defense. The walls were down. When the walls of Jerusalem were up, it's a lot harder to force your way into a huge city when you have 30, 40 feet high walls surrounding it. And so enemies wanted the walls to remain down to show that Jerusalem was weak and feeble and not able to defend itself. Some of these people actually came up to the workers as they were working. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, one of these men was Sam Ballot. I think I'm saying his name right. And he was angry when they learned that the wall was being rebuilt. He flew into a rage, mocked the Jews, saying, What does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? 
Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering some sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred, broken stones? That, someone else remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Then Nehemiah prayed, Hear us, O God, we're being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads. May they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Don't ignore their guilt. Don't blot out their sins. They've provoked you to anger here in front of the community. Nehemiah did not like it very much. His purpose, his workers, his leaders were being attacked. And after he said that, he took another step forward in protecting his people. He put men with swords and and spears and shields all the way around the wall. So that if someone dared to come and attack what they were doing, they would be met with some kind of resistance. What does this show us about how Nehemiah handled this particular pressure? As believers in Christ, troubles will find us. Scripture is clear that we are not of this world, but we are in this world. The devil is trying to do everything he can to distract us and pull us away from the kingdom of God. But when troubles find us, we can and need to embrace those moments so that our faith will grow. Our faith is like a muscle. What happens when you use your muscle a lot and a lot and a lot of times? It strengthens. It gets stronger. What happens when you don't use your muscles? They look like my arms. Very flabby. I haven't worked out my arms in about a year and a half. Atrophy. They're weak. The more you use your faith, the stronger it's going to get. The more your faith is tested with circumstances beyond your control, it's going to get tested. Nehemiah also stood up for his fellow Israelites. He handled the responsibilities of being a leader by making sure that their needs were met and not being taken advantage of. In chapter 5, the start of it, Many of the Israelites were being impoverished by their own people. Their own leaders were mortgaging their houses and yards and making more money off of it. They were pulling in taxes. They were prohibiting their fellow men, their fellow countrymen, from living a life that God intended. And so, a very angry, upset, and energized Nehemiah heard about all of these things and addressed these complaints directly with the leaders. In chapter 5, verses 6 and 11, again, I'll be paraphrasing, Nehemiah was very angry when he heard these complaints. He spoke out against these nobles and officials by saying, you're hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. I called a public meeting to deal with the problem and said, we're doing all we can to redeem our relatives who've had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners. You're selling them back into slavery again with all of these ludicrous ideas and practices. How often must must we redeem them? They had nothing to say in their defense. 
meaning they were shell-shocked and knew that something was happening and they were getting called out. Nehemiah continued, what you're doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? My brothers and my workers have been lending people money and grain, but now we need to stop this business of charging interest. And he went on to say, restore fields, vineyards, olive oil, do everything you can to reverse what you've done. A call to leading, a call to leading like Christ means finding ways to help out our neighbors and not taking advantage of them. I mentioned this in the youth Sunday school this morning. It's a passage from Leviticus, chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. And basically that says, when people are collecting grain and grapes from their field and they don't get it all or some drops on the ground, God's law instructs them not to pick it up and to leave it there. Why? So the poor and the foreigners living among you can come and get them. That was just one of the ways that God wanted his people to help others. And then even Jesus said very famously, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. So if our Lord says we need to serve and not be served, we need to do it. We need to do it. Finally, we've reached number five. Nehemiah understood that leading means to finish. Finishing the task with unwavering determination. Chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. On October the 2nd, just 52 days after we started, the walls were finished. Just 52 days to put the entire wall and gates of Jerusalem back into place. I know some of you have been to Jerusalem before and you've seen the old city. That is a massive undertaking to do in less than 60 days. Massive. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated, realizing this work had been done with the help of God. Leading means we have an obligation to see the task through. We have been given an opportunity, a chance, a task, a charge, however you would like to call it or define it. And if we give up, we are not showing us to be true spiritual leaders. Paul famously said in 2 Timothy, my time's over. I can sense death. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I remained faithful. And now the crown of righteousness is my prize, which God has going, which God is going to give me. So even Paul knew when his time was approaching the end. And he was able to sit back and go, oh, I've done what it is that God has put in my life to do. Think of how long it would have taken Noah to build that ark with the exact specifications. If you've been to the Creation Museum in Kentucky, you know how big the ark is there. If not, Google it when you get home, the Creation Museum. You can see the ark from miles away. It is ginormous. 
So for Noah to do that, in a very primitive society, lacking all the tools that we have, think about how long it must have taken them. Think about Moses and the patience he had leading the complaining, bitter, wailing Israelites for 40 years through the wilderness. I'd give up after one week. But Moses stuck with it for 40 years. Think of Jesus, knowing what he would have to face in his final days. And yet his famous prayer in the garden, take this cup from me, Father, but thy will not mine. He knew what was in front of him. And being a leader, he didn't step away from it. Nehemiah, his story provides us with those five principles on how to be effective leaders. But the last thing I want to say is this. His calling and his life reflects us or points us to Jesus. Every part of Scripture is designed to point us to Jesus Christ. Jesus wept for Jerusalem when he was coming into the city during his last week because he knew that what Nehemiah had accomplished would soon be torn down again when the Romans would come and destroy everything. Nehemiah's choice to pray constantly was mirrored by Jesus. Nehemiah put back up the gates and the walls so people could safely pass through and enter into safety. Jesus is our gate so that we can enter into a kingdom of paradise and eternal bliss if we give our lives to him. The walls in Nehemiah's day, as I've said before, major factor in deterring assaults and preventing enemy forces from coming in and seizing the city. God's protection plan for us today doesn't necessarily involve actual walls around this church, but with Christ's presence in us via the Holy Spirit. Nehemiah rebuilt the walls and the gates of the city. Christ repairs the relationship between us and God and us and each other. My Bible has a quote in its introduction to Nehemiah. And it says this, if you think you're too small to be effective, you've never been in bed with a mosquito. <laughs> Nehemiah's life shows us the incredible impact that one person who's wholly committed to God can have. So when FUMC, myself included, are we willing to step up? Are we willing to take the title of leader in whatever it is that God wants us to do in this church, in this town, and in the kingdom? Will you pray with me? God, hear us in the silence as your spirit convicts us, challenges us, supports us into how we can lead. Better, more loving, more effective. Help us to remember the story of Nehemiah and what one tiny 
man did to become a legend. Be with us now in this time. In your name we pray. Amen.